Hello, everyone. Welcome to Phase One, a podcast brought to you by the Emerging Professionals Committee at IPS Integrated Project Services, LLC. We're your hosts, Mike Malby and Sarah Bilger. And we are back with our seventh episode. Thanks to everyone who has been listening and giving us feedback on our previous episodes. It's been fun to talk with and introduce our listeners to some IPS employees that you might not otherwise have met. As always, our goal here at Phase One is to give you insights into the life sciences industry, whether it be career advice, current events happening in the industry, or speculating on what the future holds. In today's episode, we're going to be talking with Jason Collins. Well, welcome, Jason. Glad to have you here on the Phase One podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. How about you start off by telling us your job title? Sure. So I am the Director of Process Architecture within the Global Strategy and Technology Group. And where are you located? Uh, I'm located in the Bluebell office, uh, although I'm at home now, just like everybody else. So one of the things that we'd like to ask our guests is, what is a crazy but true fact about you, Jason? Crazy but true fact. So That's fairly easy for me. I'm a bit of a speed addict. Um, I've always liked speed. I've always loved speed since since I was younger. And, you know, what I do to scratch that itch, in the winter times, I love to snowboard. And I was never really into the the parks and and freestyle types of snowboarding. I just like to barrel down the mountain as fast as I can and uh, just do that over and over again and, and still enjoy that, although... Now, I think I spend more time chasing my kids than being out in front of them. The rest of the year, actually throughout most of the year, I enjoy high-performance driving, which is essentially driving with various clubs at different racetracks around our area, where you get to essentially drive as fast as you can with uh, 30 or 40 other cars out there on the track with you, and uh, it's just a blast, something I love to do. So are there a lot of racetracks in the area? Yeah, quite a few, quite a few. So um, typically in a given year, I'll do anywhere from from six to to 10 or 11 events. This year, being a COVID year, we did actually more events because, you know, there was something to do. And it was something you could do while you're outside um, all the whole time or alone in your car. So, you know, it's fairly easy to social distance. There's tracks, there's one up in Connecticut, there's the famous Watkins Glen, uh, famous Formula One track in New York, which I go to a few times a year. There's tracks down in New Jersey, and um, recently I was just down in Virginia at Virginia International Raceway. So quite a few, lots of variety, and lots of fun. Is there a specific kind of car that you like to race? Well, the events are open to all models and all makes. And I actually started doing this in the family station wagon uh, a number of years ago. And over the years, and with some convincing from my mechanics, uh, realized I might not be in the right car for doing this. And so I eventually worked my way into a more purpose-built Porsche. Nice. What's the fastest you've ever driven during a race? Uh, the fastest I've ever gone is about 153 miles per hour. That's usually where you start to run, at least I start to run out of track. So it's not the top speed of the car, but it's the top speed that I've ever done in the car. 
impressive. Yeah, it's fun. I can't even imagine what that would be like. I go 60 and I get scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, well, it's not for everybody, but for those of us that enjoy it, it's, there's uh, very few things that, that give that same thrill. So where did you grow up and how did you end up at your current location? So I actually grew up in Long Island, New York, decided to go to school at Penn State, which was, uh, you know, certainly going away to school for me. It was six hours away, which I wanted to be, you know, someplace different, try something new. Within Penn State, I was in the architecture program, which was a five-year program. And in our fourth year, we were given the opportunity to study abroad in Rome. I actually ended up going for the summer and the fall semester. I wanted to stay as long in Italy as I could. And so one of my professors had received a research grant and I applied to, to that program and was able to go uh, with him and spend the summer doing some research and then my normal fall semester. While studying in the early parts of the fall semester, I, uh, I ended up meeting my wife. Anna Collins, who many of you may know as our, our head of marketing and communication. She graduated, she was going to Temple at the time. She graduated before me and started working in Philly. And so, um, you know, where else was I going to go? Um, I certainly wasn't going to return back to New York, which I actually always thought I would end up working in New York City, but I decided to stay in Philly and uh, really fell in love with the city. And, and that's where we've been for the most part since then. Nice. I don't know if Anna ever mentioned to you or if I mentioned to you, but I went to Penn State. I'm Penn State alumni as well. And I was I was accepted into the architecture program. I, I spent the first year in the architecture program. The people that were good at it seemed to really have a passion for it. Were, were you like that? Uh, for me, it was an interesting journey for me. So I I started... Uh, in architecture programs in high school, actually. I was always somebody who liked to build things, um, constantly building and knocking down uh, what we called forts in, in uh, my neighbor's backyard. And we would go out to uh, construction sites and scavenger for wood and nails and, and other things, whatever we could carry back on our, on our bicycles and um, just, just build stuff and constantly expanding and putting uh, different levels on things that were not really structurally designed for that sort of thing. But anyway, it was a lot of fun. And, and I, I also just enjoyed taking things apart and putting them back together again. And, and uh, so in high school, I went to a large high school and there were lots of electives available to us. And so I took everything from engine courses to solar design to architecture and technical drawing. And, um, Although I really enjoyed the other things as hobbies, I thought architecture would be a more logical step in the right direction. And I felt the technical drawing classes were um, relatively easy, but also interesting and, and enjoyed that, that, that part of it. And eventually we did learn some CAD at that time. And, and the, the, the full architecture class, which we could take as seniors if you had taken some of the prerequisites, did involve designing a house completely and and doing, you know, different kinds of drawings of it and, you know, learning some of the more advanced techniques like drawing perspectives and things like that. And so I thought, you know, this was really something that I enjoyed. It seemed like a pretty good profession and that I would go in that direction. 
I, I had uh, quite a rude awakening going to Penn State, though, because in the very first year, the very first project they ask you to do is to is to do a what they call a weekend design charrette, and they give you an idea or a theme, and you basically have to submit a one presentation board at the end of the weekend with your idea, and it's a competition, and all years from the first year to the fifth year are involved. It was kind of a, a school competition. And so that first, that very first competition was a house for a dam keeper. So they had found a local dam and uh, we had drawings of the dam and they basically told, told us, imagine you were the per person whose sole purpose was to, to maintain this dam, to let the water out, to, to um, you know, basically control all aspects of the dam, design a house for this person. And so I thought, great, I know how to design houses. I just did one for my thesis. So I set off to, to, to design and uh, draw up the, the most um, technically perfect house I could. And what that meant was all the doors were standard sizes. The windows were standard sizes. It was a you know, just like any other house you would see down the road. And I thought, wow, this is great. I know how to do this. Well, the person who won painted a beautiful fish and sat it on top of the dam. And there was a person, little tiny person, in the mouth of the fish. That's what won the competition. And that's where I thought, what am I getting myself into here? And it really became uh, a journey in learning about expanding my mind thinking outside of the box, learning all different kinds of media, art media, which I had no experience with. And so those first two years were, were a bit of a struggle for me to, to kind of learn all of those things and, and, uh, and keep pushing forward, knowing that none of the training I had before applied at all in any way and, and didn't apply for my remaining five years. I think there, there's uh, something to be said for you recognizing that you need to open up, uh, that it would require you opening up, opening your mind, freeing your mind and adapting to it. Sure. Definitely. By the way, that was, that was my feeling about it too, was like, you know, in high school, I loved drafting. I was really good at it. I even had like an architectural design course in high school. I got into the program and I really, I always say like it was less about like how do you design design a building and more about how does this building make you feel like that it it was very it was a lot more art than engineering right exactly so when you chose your major did you know that you wanted to pursue a career involving life sciences no, not at all. In fact, it probably couldn't have been further from, from, well, my imagination at the time. I had no idea that the industry really existed in the fashion that we work within it today. You know, my journey to life sciences was, was kind of, um, not by accident, but more about following a, a career path, getting the kind of experience that I wanted. Um, coming out of school, I worked for a very small architecture firm in downtown Philly, which was a lot of fun. I was essentially asked to teach myself 3D modeling with some of the newest software and work on graphics and, and just do a lot of, of embellishing of the company's portfolios and, and slowly started working on some very small projects. But 
after a year or so, I just realized, you know, I really wasn't getting what I thought was the required knowledge to be able to get my license, which was priority one for me. It was something that was kind of drilled into us at school and something that I very much wanted to achieve. So Anna, again, <laughs> comes into the picture. She was actually working in the marketing department for another large engineering firm and um, introduced me to the head of architecture there. And I figured, well, I certainly don't ever really want to work for an engineering company because how boring is that? But, you know, this is a larger company. I'm certainly going to learn how to put buildings together and uh, get what I need to be able to sit for the exam and get my license. And so that company was also um, a large global company, but the office that I was joining was uh, specialized in the life science industry. And so, you know, I started working on some small projects there, um, not really knowing or understanding uh, exactly what the building types were. Um, but the more I did learn about it, the more interested I became. And then eventually I was seduced by the prospects of working internationally, which is every architect's dream to be able to, to work internationally, especially with my, my background of uh, studying overseas and, and uh, having that experience you know to be to be paid as an architect to go and travel and do those things well that was the holy grail nice where have you been able to travel to uh, lots of different places around the world when i was a little bit uh, younger in my career both anna and i having then worked for the same company as we do today uh, we actually went over to uh, live in england for three years Anna had taken a position as the head of marketing for the UK and Ireland. So uh, we both went over with our young family at the time and um, uh, had a go. And there wasn't um, a whole lot of work for me in England, but I had worked with some of, of that company's um, other offices in Europe before. And so once they found that, that I was there, um, they called me and asked me to support projects um, throughout Europe. So I did some work in, in Budapest, in, in Italy, in Ireland, um, spent a lot of time in Belgium. Um, so that was a really exciting uh, point in my career because the, the, the idea of a process architect didn't really exist in Europe. And so I was a bit of, of an anomaly over there and, and that was pretty exciting. But with IPS as well, I've had the opportunity to work in China and in Brazil and, and um, you know, all across the US as well. So it's uh, certainly an exciting part of the profession. So it wasn't, Part of your original plan to work in the life sciences, but you do. Yes. So why is what you do important to you? There's many aspects of, of what I do that I love. I love the challenge of starting a new project with a new client, gathering all the information, trying to, to make some sort of order out of it, how, trying to understand the, the process of, of manufacturing, whatever it is that they're making and then designing a facility around that, all while taking into consideration building codes, thoughtful design, and even the exterior aesthetic of the facility. I love uh, being able to learn from all the different people that we work with in our, in our different teams. Every team is different from project to project, and you, you can't help but learn something from everyone along the way. Um, I think this style of, of architecture, of, of design, of, of engineering suits me quite well. You know, it's, uh, I'm not necessarily the most 
consider, I don't consider myself to be a purely sculptural architect. Um, so I like being able to, you know, what I always say is design things from the inside out and then the outside back in again. So that whole process of, of um, developing uh, logical layouts, um, stitching them together, um, coordinating with the other engineers, and then making sure everything is, is designed fit for purpose is really something that I enjoy. Nice. Do you have any favorite publications or where do you usually get your industry news or, or how do you stay up to date on everything? I wouldn't say I have any favorite publications, but I think I get a lot of information and, and current, current event news from participating in ISBE. I'm the co-chair of the Sterile Products Processing Committee. And so on a, on a bi-monthly basis, we have um, committee meetings and then we we always try to, to get together face-to-face -to -face at the ISB conferences. And being on the committee gives me the opportunity to really participate in the development of a lot of content. So I get to work with some of the top people in the industry to put together uh, presentations that we feel are um, directly to relate, related to what our clients are going through and, and where the industry is at the moment. And you also get a glimpse of where all the new technology is, what the, the up-and-coming regulatory regula regulations are going to be. And um, it's, just, uh, it's just great being a part of all the buzz uh, by participating with, with them. I, I do like to thumb through architectural magazines from time to time, mostly to remind myself to consider architecture, to consider design, that it doesn't, all buildings don't have to be, you know, works of art, but it just takes a little bit of effort to make good buildings, to make good designs. And, um, you know, just, just looking at what other people are doing in the profession just reminds me to be mindful of those things because we sometimes just get caught up uh, very much in what's going on inside the building and, you know, schedules and budgets and, and, and meeting expectations for deliverables. But, you know, it's nice to be reminded to think of the artistry, to think of the creativity and to bring that into our work every day. So Jason, throughout your career, what is the most important, useful, and memorable piece of career advice that you've received? So that's a, that's a pretty, pretty easy one for me to answer because um, I think about it all the time. It actually occurred in my, in my second year of school, not really in my career. And um, as I had mentioned earlier, you know, there, were, there was a lot I was trying to get up to speed with, you know, exploring design but also working on, on uh, drawing technique and, uh, and just, you know, trying to put together, uh, you know, really good drawings for presentation and that sort of thing. And my second, one of my second year studio professors um, said to me, uh, quite simply, he said, all I want you to do is make one good drawing a day. Now it has to be a good drawing, which means it needs to be either complete or artistic expressive, but whatever it is, you need to look at it and say, this is a good drawing, right? It doesn't have to be great, just one good drawing a day. And he said, by the end of the week, you're going to have seven good drawings and you'll be ready to present. And I really took that advice to heart because I think as architects, we tend to design until the very last minute. And what this was doing was forcing me to stop design at some point and then put your ideas together and then put them down on paper and make sure it was a good drawing. So 
uh, whatever drawing technique I was studying at the time, whether it was charcoal or pen and ink or, or pastel, and, and I, I tried them all. Um, it kind of forced me to say, okay, stop designing, now complete the drawing, you know, and do whatever you want to do, whether it's a rendering, whether it's a 3D image, you know, whatever it is, just finish it. And then tomorrow, move on to the next thing and, and maybe continue design a little further. And what I found was that he was right at the end of the week, and we had weekly crits, which, which we call them in the architecture um, school crits or critiques. So every week you would get up in front of your peers and, and uh, a number of professors, you'd prevent, and you would present your work. And they were always known to be very difficult, very challenging. The professors were never easy on us. They often would criticize and, and really try to make you feel um, not great about the work you were doing just to see how you would bounce back or how you would respond and that sort of thing. Um, but I found that by following that advice, I was always well prepared for my crits. And even if professors didn't agree with my design solutions, they could never be overly harsh because there was so much work that I had to show. And, and there was always a progression of, you know, the initial thoughts on one day through more finalized thoughts towards the end. And so, uh, you know, that was something that I think I've always followed, uh, just that understanding of, of understand when to stop designing, be mindful of deadlines and get to work completing things. Uh, and, and I think that's, um, that's really been beneficial to me. It's also helped me to, um, to really try to, to learn about different graphic um, design styles and, uh, and, and choose the ones that are most appropriate for what I'm doing. Yeah, that, that's really good advice. Uh, it, it's, it has uh, many wide applications, you know, I presume, not just for architecture, but for design in general, like you're saying. Sure. Do you have a favorite project or one that was most memorable for you? And like, what, what made it your favorite or most memorable? Well, certainly the most memorable project was about six months after joining IPS, we were awarded the Biomanguinhos project down in Brazil. I'm not sure if we knew what we were getting into, but it ended up being a massive uh, new campus for the, the Ministry of Health in Brazil. And the goal of the project was to provide free access to vaccines for the people of Brazil and also to support other emerging economies. And so, you know, it started out as a, as a conceptual design and quickly grew to a facility of uh, well over a million square feet, multiple, multiple buildings, uh, everything from administration, cafeterias, warehouses, manufacturing, packaging, Anything you could imagine that could be involved in a life science project uh, was involved in this, this new campus. And so it was just one of those things where you just had to, to jump right in, get started, and um, you know just bite off one chunk at a time. It was memorable because of the, the sheer scale of the project. Um, it was also memorable because of, of what I learned along the way. And then working with um, folks in Brazil, uh, we had a fantastic client team in Brazil, which was just, they were just a joy to work with. And, you know, the, the, the challenge of, of just doing it all. I think um, we, we often focused, or I know I certainly focused on not letting 
the size of the project, the importance of the project, or um, what could go wrong uh, get to me throughout throughout the uh, the whole design process. It's just a matter of um, you know work on one thing and then move on to the next, and then move on to the next, and and, and not let the the overall you know importance of it um, get to me and to the team. Um, so certainly one one of our uh, major accomplishments. Did you get to travel there often? Yeah, I think I I was to Brazil um, somewhere around 30 times, I think. So uh, over the course of a number of years, but uh, yeah, pretty often. So aside from uh, Sarah and myself, who do you enjoy working with the most at IPS? Oh, um, I don't think I could single out a you know, single person. I, I enjoy working with, with, with people that I can learn from. And so, um, you know, we have a lot of people at IPS that are, you know, the best in the business. And so, and it, you know, as I was saying, the um, project teams change from project to project. And so I really enjoy working with folks who you can see right away are passionate for what they're doing. They have a level of expertise. They're open to, to dialogue, to talking through um, solutions and options, um, and they're just uh, you know willing to contribute and move things along. So we kind of talked about a project that was memorable in a in a good way, but do you have any kind of you know like crazy client stories or mishaps on on projects that you've worked on? I do, I do. So I let's see. I mean, we've all had challenging clients over the years. Um, I mentioned that uh, while we were living in England for a few years, I, I did quite a bit of work in Belgium. And um, I was probably working there for almost about a year and a half, I think, back and forth, traveling almost every other week from, from England to Belgium. Uh, the client there was um, tough. Um, you know, I would say fair, but tough and, and challenging. They had a beautiful campus and they were, they were very proud. And the, the site head, especially, was very proud of the campus. The, the look of the facilities was very important, um, contrary to many of our, our clients. And so that aspect of the project was important. The challenge was that we were given a site which was kind of at the end of the property, um, which was in plain view from, from the surrounding neighborhoods and streets, however, was kind of a, a trapezoidal shape. So not really conducive to you know, a well-structured pharmaceutical manufacturing facility. And it was a sterile manufacturing facility. So there was uh, lots of equipment and, um, you know, designing for you know, clean rooms and, and, and regular shapes was, was easier to do than, than anything that would, would not be regular. And so, you know, going through the design process from early on, I was mindful that not only did the facility need to work, but it also needed to be attractive from the outside. Uh, and so um, I, I spent quite a bit of time trying to work through all of that. I had heard horror stories um, from our actual client counterparts saying that most of the, the buildings that were designed and presented to the site had previously had to be redesigned over and over again because he didn't like the exterior designs of the buildings. And that was, I think, primarily because the insides were designed by engineers and the outsides were designed by separate architects that were not necessarily involved in, in what was going on on the inside, which was more or less the typical model in Europe. 
as I mentioned earlier, that the idea of the process architect was 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 not known. Uh, and so I spent a lot of time, as I mentioned, designing from the inside out, trying to get something that was logical and worked, and then trying to to you know make it work from an exterior design standpoint as well, uh, which was not easy based on the shape. Um, the, the building ended up being kind of an offset L shape with you know some some bumps and, and things on it that had to be applied for life safety and other, other issues um, that needed to be worked out. So I was very nervous about presenting this building to the site head based on the stories that I had heard, but I put a lot of time in and, and just worked through it and modeled the whole uh, building and the exterior design and, and um, just kept working at it. Finally, when it was time to present, uh, and, I, and I did have to present to a, a room full of people, including that particular site head, um, after the presentation, he slowly got out of his chair, went up and was looking at the drawings and turned to me and he said, you know, I was really concerned about the design of the building and some of the earlier floor plans that I saw, although they looked like they, they worked in plan, I was really worried that we were going to have a building that was going to be as, as nice as we wanted it to, it to be. And then he looked at me and he said, but I have to congratulate you because you have done it. And in fact, this building is beautiful. And he accepted the design in that first presentation. And that's something that has stayed with me, obviously, for, for a long time. It was, it was a um, very critical moment for me because it, it helped me realize by, that by you know, putting in the hard work and the effort, understanding what the requirements were and, and not giving up until you felt it was the right solution um, had paid off for me at that point. So it's something I, I think about when I need a boost from time to time. That's, that's an awesome story. And I can, hear, I can hear the pride in your voice when you tell it too. Yeah, thank you. That's a great and, story. And you have to imagine it with a French accent. Yeah. <laughs> and it is beautiful. <laughs> That's what I heard. Jason, throughout your your career journey and your time at IPS, is there a specific mentor that you had uh, that's been really great? And how did you get connected with them? So I feel like I've been lucky to have quite a quite a few mentors uh, throughout my career, um, from the very beginning, you know, to to even where I am uh, now. And so mentoring has always been something that I value and, and, I, and I try to, to, return, um, to return that as I work with individuals uh, through projects today. Um, but I think, you know, from, from the very beginning, you know, one of the first architects I worked with, um, he, we worked on a lot of small projects together. It was right when I was getting involved in, in projects for the life science industry, but I was also new to just, you know, working on buildings and doing drawings and all of that sort of thing. And, and, and that particular architect was, um, was very good at, at teaching me how to do drawings. And, and again, we're back to good drawings. So, you know, we're working in CAD and, you know, folks may think that, well, you just, you just enter it in CAD and the drawing is done. Um, but there's a way of doing drawings to, again, make them, you know, very readable, expressive, even even beautiful. 
And so he, he very much taught me to be an expert in CAD, um, but also taught me how to look at the drawings afterwards, make sure they were drawn correctly. Um, it was you know, very important that the, the sheet, the, the construction document sheet be balanced, that, it, that everything would read well. Um, and so that was you know, something that, that I learned fairly quickly uh, or fairly early on. And he also held me, held me accountable he was meticulous and held me accountable for everything, you know, whether things were not lined up or I had chosen the wrong line weights or, you know, anything that, that was not up to his standards, he would ask me to fix. And, but he had a really nice way of doing it because he would come up to me, you know, very well knowing the answer saying, how hard would it be if you would just, and then, you know, the only response I could make was no problem, I'll take care of it. You know, I really learned a lot from him on just how to do good drawings, how to put drawing sets together, how to, how to manage the work. As I, as I moved through my career and started working on different aspects of facility design, I find, found myself in, in positions of doing uh, or working on exterior cladding teams, which is very much about coordinating with structural engineers, picking out the systems that would go on the outside of the buildings and then doing all the detailed drawings um, to give information to the, to the uh, fabricators to, to actually uh, to, you know, design the right systems or make the right systems for the buildings. And so you know, it was a time when I was learning the importance of drawings, of what you put on drawings, what to draw, what you didn't have to draw. Um, but also, I had the opportunity to really work out details on my own, you know, think, think about how something would be supported, do the drawings, and move on from there. And one of the architects that I was working with was, I would classify as, as, a, as a technical genius from that aspect. And he was also a heavy smoker and, and uh, would fly off the handle at any given moment, you know, very eccentric. He was, he was an artist in his own way. Uh, after a few tantrums in my direction, I, uh, I realized that he was quite calm and, and, and peaceful whenever he was having a cigarette. So we would plan to have meetings outside. And at this point, we were in a building that had a nice patio along the river. And so I would ask him if he was ready for a smoke and we'd go out outside on a picnic table. I'd bring a drawing and some tracing paper and we would work out some details together and you know, and, and he could, you know, share his thoughts, um, you know, explain to me how things really work and, and uh, ended up being, you know, quite a great friendship eventually. And, uh, you know, I just felt like I learned a lot from him, uh, but maybe not one of your typical mentors. There was other mentors I had as I, as I started being a little bit more responsible for um, leading designs, uh, conceptual designs, and working part of team as part of teams. There was another architect I worked with who was uh, extremely talented in his ability to draw freehand. He could imagine anything in his mind and simply draw it uh, in any in any way. Um, he was similar to Da Vinci that he could write um, backwards with both hands, ambidextrous. You know, very very talented person, talented architect, and, and extremely bright. And so what, what was unique to his style, which I often strive to emulate, was that at the start of every project, he would sit down with the architectural team and he would go over the process with us from an architectural standpoint, right? And 
and just kind of give the overview of this is what happens, this is how you make it. And you would use analogies like imagine a big pot of chicken soup. That's, you know, what we're starting with. And, and you know, so it was very important to him that we understood the manufacturing process at a high level so that we could then support the design of the building. And everybody got that knowledge from folks who were just simply doing the drafting to those of us who were having more design input. And the other thing that I really embraced um, that he would do was, was a mixed media approach, hand sketches along with 3D models, along with CAD drawings, all of which he was proficient in and, and uh, you know, had taught himself. And you know, I realized that there wasn't just one way to do it and that we could always select the best medium based on what we were doing. So early on in concepts, we would do a lot of hand drawings. And, you know, the, the, the more we did, the more you, you, you know, you kind of developed that skill. Um, but it was something that we could generate quite quickly and, and do almost anywhere. And what I found was our clients really responded to that because they felt like in the initial stages of design, they were getting something that didn't require too much of an investment, whether it's time or money, um, gives them the opportunity to react. And then we can quickly... Um, you know, make adjustments based on, on, on what their feelings were for the design. I've also find that, you know, clients really appreciate that as a skill and they, you know, something we take for granted maybe as designers and as, as architects that, you know, have some experience with doing drawings, but for people that don't do that every day, they feel like it's a special drawing made just for them, right? It's unique. It's kind of a one of a kind and, and people tend to react um, quite, quite, positively to it. And so it's still something that, that I do even today and, and encourage others to do, even though we do it in an electronic format versus drawing on tracing paper like we used to. So, you know, that was something that, you know, was, was um, really impactful in, in um, you know, how I learned to, you know, work on projects, lead projects, and, and eventually um, lead teams as well. And, uh, you know, I would say most recently in my career, um, I, I, would, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about Sterling Klein a little bit. Sterling, who many know as a leader at IPS, was actually my, my client when he was working for BMS. And uh, once, when he retired from BMS and came to, to IPS, he um, was recruit, trying to recruit me for some time. And that was right at the time when we went over to England for a few years, but I would say within a few months of coming back, I got the phone call and after maybe a year of talks, I decided to join IPS. Uh, and what I learned um, working alongside Sterling, which was maybe different from having him as a client, was the, um, the relationships he had in the industry and his knowledge of the industry, which, which transcended pure process architecture. And um, what he encouraged me to do and, and uh, almost forced me to do for my own benefit was to look back on all of my experiences and, and um, use that information to help our clients to, to make recommendations, to, to you know, help them with their, their challenges, not just provide design solutions. He also encouraged me to be much more involved in the industry, um, getting involved in ISPE and, and um, you know, got me my first, what I would say, speaking opportunity, which um, 
scared the hell out of me. And, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, right, well, we're going to ISPE in, in two weeks, got your speaking um, spot. So think about what you want to talk about and, um, you know, go do it. And, you know, my initial response is I've had very little involvement with ISPE. You know, what, what do I know that I'm going to share with, with all of these people that, you know, are experts. And, you know, I think he, he just reminded me that, you know, I'm sure you have something to share. I'm sure there's something that you could talk about based on your experience. So just, you know, be passionate and, and do it. And, and so, um, you know, that was, that was the beginning. And, and uh, I think that's, that's a big part of IPS and, and what we bring to our clients. And, and a lot of that really stems from, from his ideology. And you, you speak now on a fairly regular basis. I do. It's, it's not something that, that comes easy to me. It's not something that I'll ever be comfortable with. As um, you know, Sterling, Sterling would always say that he has the gift of gab. And uh, that's never been something that I felt I've had the gift for. And so, you know, I enjoy doing the presentations, but there's a lot of preparation I do. There's a lot of practicing that I need to do um, in order to, to, to come across as uh, hopefully being confident. But it's one of those things like, like many aspects of what we do, there's the challenge of putting it together. There's, um, you know, leading up to the presentation, there's, there's doing the presentation and, and hopefully if you've prepared well, it comes off well. And then there's the the pride of of, um, of enjoying the outcome of it. What was the topic that you ended up talking about at your speaking opportunity that you got? It was actually about single use disposable systems and their impact on facility design. So it would, it actually turned out to be to be um, a good way to to have my first presentation because my co-star was Rob Roy. And if any of you know Rob Roy, Rob is uh, very good at speaking. He's very entertaining. He's very, uh, he's got just one of those personalities that um, everyone responds to. So, you know, that was kind of my, my saving grace. And I thought, well, if my presentation isn't, isn't that great, well, at least we've got Rob there to, to, uh, to win over the crowd. But, um, you know, we ended up doing that presentation together. And, you know, that was kind of uh, the start of it all. That's awesome. My daughter, she just turned 17 yesterday. She's getting ready. You know, we're, we're in that phase of looking at colleges, exploring possible careers. And one thing that she says is that she may possibly want to go to Penn State and she may possibly want to study architecture. So for somebody that's maybe like a high school level that's thinking about getting into architecture, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, I think um, the advice that I often give to uh, to younger students, especially high school students, is is to get involved in art, to take some art classes if your school offers it, and if not, to take classes over the summer. That's an interesting point that you make about architecture. The general consensus is that it's more mathematical, more like engineering, and not as much about art. And it's interesting that you make that point for like young people who want to get into it is to 
specifically target art classes and and sort of honing that artistic skill. A lot of people believe that that like art is like it's a talent either you have it or you don't, but it is something that can be honed. That's true and and you don't have to be, you know, I wouldn't say you need to be a, a tremendous artist to be an architect, but you know, understanding the basics um, and, and taking some art courses, you know, understanding the principles behind simple things like shade and shadow and, you know, just um, rendering techniques and, and that sort of thing. And, and as I mentioned, you know, throughout, throughout school, you're going to be asked to essentially take what's in your head and put it down on paper. Um, I, I know a lot of um, my fellow students, as we were going through the, in the program that I was in at Penn State, they purposefully uh, withheld the 3D um, CAD graphics until later, um, and it was offered more as a studio just so that you could learn it, so that you could get a job. But we were somewhat discouraged from executing our work using the computer software because our professors at the time felt, you know, it was not that it was cheating, but you would miss out on on, on the education of just developing your own style artistically and that um, you might use the computer as a crutch uh, just because it could, you know, do all of that. At the same time, the computer can be a limitation for design. You know, as I, as I mentioned, I still like to do a lot of drawings by hand, especially in, in initial design. And the reason for that is uh, I have tried it all different ways. And, and when you're working within the confines of a software, you, you kind of get not forced, but you, you think in a certain way based on how you draw things and how easy it is to draw things on the computer. Whereas when you're working in, in freehand, you just, you just draw it. It doesn't, you're not thinking, how do I model this? Or how am I gonna get it to all line up? It doesn't have to line up. It's just, it's a, you just draw what you see and then you change it and then you change it and then you change it. And it's, you know, when you invest a lot of time in a CAD drawing, and then you realize, oh, if I would have just flipped this around and did all of this, you know, that, that would have been a much better design. After you've invested all of that time, you tend to be like, eh, maybe it's good enough. But, it, you know, working it all out by hand, you, you know, you're not, you have no limitations and you're free to explore anything, you know, from that standpoint. Those are great, great points. Very inspiring. Jason, is there anything that you think that we missed that you would like to add? Let's see. You can find my racing videos at Go Speed Jason on YouTube <laughs> for anyone who's interested. Make nice. sure you like them. <laughs> I, I imagine you have some pretty creative Halloween costumes around racing. Around racing? No. No. No? I mean, never? Um, I was always into cars, but I think the, the whole driving and the high-performance driving, that that's been really the last 10 years um, that, that I was able to get into that. And, and that also came from, you know, a relationship at, uh, at IPS, um, Dan Liorta, who was a race, racing motorcycle instructor um, through just conversation with, um, with Dan and, and Sam, Sam Hallaby. We were just talking about how, you know, we'd love to just get on a track someday and drive our cars and, just go as fast as we can. And 
Dan basically said, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm an instructor at New Jersey Motor Park. On the weekends, they have these track days where anyone can come and sit in a classroom and then, you know, you get to go out and drive the track. And we were like, well, sign us up. And, you know, and it's like most things, you know, once you have a connection that, that knows what needs to be done or at least can, can um, you know, provide that entry, uh, we all, the three of us ended up doing it together and, and um, you know, we were hooked from then on. So that was kind of the, the start of it. But, but um, earlier on, it was just, you know, I just liked cars and tried not to drive too fast on the road and you know, that sort of thing. I was just going to say, my daughter likes the Mickey Roadster racers, so maybe she'll be racing cars one day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There you she go. likes to whip around in the living room on her little mini bike. So. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of a lot of fast women out there. You know, there's there's quite a few um, in the clubs I drive with, and it's always great to see them. Yeah, she's definitely fearless right now. She's only two, but I can see her being like a complete adrenaline junkie. So there you go. <laughs> she's probably yeah. At some point, right now, she's probably still okay going around inside the house but yeah yeah that, that that's that's not gonna last yeah <laughs> so when i was in college one year and it was in our last year we did have a halloween party and the theme was to dress as your thesis and i was pretty lucky in that aspect because my thesis which this is the model from my thesis um i i basically designed an institute for paleontology and so if you're not familiar with paleontology, it's, it's the study of prehistoric organisms, animals, that sort of thing. And so, so I dressed as, as a dinosaur because I thought that was the closest relation to my thesis. Nice. It's fun. Did you make the costume yourself? I did, of course. Yeah. Oh. It's mostly makeup, but uh, yeah. We'll have to get a picture of that. Yeah. yeah you, that if you still have pictures, <laughs> now you'll have it. Good luck with that. There was no iPhones back then, so. Yeah. <laughs> Jason, thank you very much for sitting down with the Phase One podcast, letting us know a little bit more about you, a little bit more about your career journey, what it's like to go through the journey as an architect and end up in the life sciences industry. Thank you. I think it's been it's been a lot of fun. Certainly, it's nice to take that trip down memory lane a little bit. Um, and to think about those those things, and you know, for for who, whoever is listening, if we get a few people, um, I certainly would you know encourage you. If you have any follow up questions or or would like to, to talk to me, you know, I'm always available and um, and willing to help in any way. I did just think of one other thing. So uh, I was going to bring up uh, the the IPS mentor program did you did you talk about that at all or your involvement in the ips mentor program uh we didn't talk about that but i was i was certainly one of the um of the initial group in getting that off the ground and started um you know i think i think it's great to have a program um i think what what the emphasis has always been is we didn't want to make it a very structured program. We wanted to encourage people to reach out to those that they felt they can learn something from, 
or that maybe they can get some advice. Um, and, and I think that's the way it's always been for me. You know, I, I never entered into a mentor-mentee relationship specifically with, with anyone, but it was kind of understood as, as you work with people that, you know, you, you learn from them as much as you can. And, and as I said, I was fortunate enough to work with many that were willing to teach me and to share what they knew. And so I think that's really the, the program um, at IPS is just uh, wanting to make everyone aware that as you're working with, with teams to, to be mindful as you're, as you're giving out work assignments to also be thinking about how you can teach uh, folks and, and share your knowledge and also to encourage, um, especially our, our young folks, our, our emerging professionals, um, to, to ask questions, to, um, you know, to reach out, um, and whether it's specifically re re revolving around the technology or, or something you're doing on your project, or if it's just um, seeking other avenues for career growth and, and that sort of thing. If there's somebody that you think has information that you'd like, just talk to them. I think now with, with Teams and, and the way we're doing things remotely, it's even easier today than, than it's ever been. That's terrific. Thank you very much. Phase One is brought to you by the Emerging Professionals Committee at IPS. A special thanks to everyone on our production team. For more information about this episode, please visit the Phase One website, www.anchor.fm slash phase one. If you would like to contact the Phase One podcast team, please email phase one podcast at ipsdb.com. That's the number one phase one podcast at ipsdb.com. For more information about IPS, please visit ipsdb.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the phase one podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. 